Okay, tonight we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, those of you who know me know that's no big surprise. Um, we're, we're not really going to do a Bible study tonight. We're actually going to do a, just a little snapshot of a book that has been one of my favorites for years and years, and um, some of you may know of it. Uh, it is Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, and uh, we were all laughing because this has got to be one of the older editions. I don't think if you went to buy it, it would look like this. It's, it's pretty dog-eared, as you can see. It's kind of yellowed. It's got, you know marker in it, and you can just see even the top's kind of falling apart here. Anyway, Life Together, and it's a, uh, it's a tremendous thing about uh, writing about community, Christian community. So we're going to kick off with that tonight. Now, as you'll see, I'll be giving you a handout in the second half of the evening, and you'll see that Bonhoeffer uses scriptural you know, references and such, but tonight we're really going to focus on what he wrote. Um, so in doing that, I thought it was really important, aside from the fact that I love history anyway, um, that it's really important to understand who this man is that I'm bringing to you tonight and why we here in San Francisco in 2010 should listen to somebody other than one of the apostles or the words of Jesus. He has much to say to us. So just sit back for a few minutes. I'm going to set the historical tone. If you want to even close your eyes, that's okay, too. I want you to picture uh, the scenario, the scene, that the, the circumstances that gave rise to this book. And, by the way, uh, in another one of those uh, old-looking editions, another book that he wrote around the same time called The Cost of Discipleship. This is a pretty big book, a uh, little over 300 pages. It could easily take you a year to read it. It is thick and intense, and it's a wonderful, wonderful book. I've read it myself a few times, and um, it, it's, it, you'll see as we go on, it's very much his style. He's the kind of person that you just want to read something three, four, five, six times. Right, Dave? I gave the book to Dave, and you know, even just a chapter of it. Uh, and I honestly believe that what we're going to talk about tonight, you could, you could probably do a study on it for a whole, for a whole season of, of, a, of a Bible study. So, okay, here we go. Um, before I do that, I should pray. Lord, thank you for this time tonight. Thank you as we are going to hear for the privilege of being able to come together, not hiding not lurking about the streets, taking a back alley or a, a tunnel to get to this place, but to be able to come openly to worship you, to love you, to hear your word, to be taught by those um, whom you have, have put your word in them. So, Lord, I just pray that uh, you would refresh us with that tonight. You would teach us. You would give us wisdom and some degree of understanding. And, Lord, we just... Uh, Place ourselves tonight in your hands. Amen. It's April 1945. April 1945. In three weeks, the Russian army is going to overrun and capture the city of Berlin, the capital of Germany, the heart of Nazi Germany. In the Flossenburg concentration camp, 
in modern-day Bavaria over near what is today the Czech Republic. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the man who I talked about wrote this book, a German Lutheran pastor and theologian, was executed by hanging for crimes against the state. Bonhoeffer had been in prison for several years during the war. About a week or so after the Russian army overran Berlin, Nazi Germany ended up signing an unconditional surrender to the Allies. In that way, we realize today that Dietrich Bonhoeffer missed living, missed getting his freedom by only about four to six weeks because he was executed right at the end, right at the very, very end of the war. Now, the reason he's significant is after the, um, after the Nazis' ascension to power in 1933 under Hitler, there was a significant cultural shift that went on in Germany. One of the things that happened was most of the churches decided to declare their loyalty and, in a sense, their submission to the government and become national churches. And they were nationalistic in their focus. And, and the things that they taught and the approach that they took was nationalistic and meant to, in a, in a sense, be in concert with what the, the Nazi party was trying to, to have happen in Germany at the time. So this is where much of the church in Germany went following the ascension of the party in about 1933. Bonhoeffer and others decided, after study of scripture and getting together, that they could not do this. And so he was instrumental in founding something that was called the Confessing Church. And essentially, they, they agreed, they made a covenant that they were confessing their ultimate loyalty to Jesus Christ, not to any earthly powers. It was a huge statement, a huge statement. And today, it's, you know, in a world in which, in a country in which we have such tremendous freedom to worship, to, to worship in all kinds of different ways. It's hard to understand what an incredible step it was to stand up against the ultimate power and say, I'm not buying in on this. I'm not, I'm not going to play that game. So about two years after the Confessing Church was formed, they, they realized that they had no way to, to train leaders to raise up pastors for this confessing church. So they founded in, uh, in a place called Finkenwald, a uh, little further south in Germany. Uh, they founded a, uh, right, I know you're looking, don't laugh. Did I pronounce that good? Okay, thank you. <laughs> uh, they founded an underground seminary. And so when I said that prayer, that's what was on my heart. Because they could not only could they not openly practice they could not openly train people. They could not openly perpetuate the confessing church because, you know, basically all powers, religious and secular, were against them. So they formed an underground seminary 
And uh, Bonhoeffer agreed to lead or head that seminary. And it was during his tenure there at Finkenwald that um, he developed the principles and the beliefs that became the basis, essentially, of these two books. So this is not something that, though he was a tremendous theologian, this isn't, these books are not about theory. They're not about, oh, you know, I think it should be this way and my head is in the clouds and, you know, I, there's no practical tie to what I'm doing. Particularly the book we're talking about here, Life Together, was forged by people living in underground community, having to rely completely and totally on one another. Now, when you think about the world we live in today, in our country, in a city like San Francisco, it's really not that different in the sense of us needing one another. There are so many temptations. There are so many distractions. There are so many things that would cause us just to, you know, ah, oh, it's okay. You know, God wouldn't mind that. It's okay if you do this. You go to church on Sunday. Maybe you're part of a small group. You know, you got some people around you. It's, it's all right. You can do this thing over here. You can do that. You can compromise here. You can compromise there. It's more insidious than anything they faced. They knew what they were up against. In our case, a lot of times, the temptations and things of life, do they just sneak up on us? They just sneak up on us. And the next thing we know, we're carrying them around. They're appended to us all over the place. So tonight, we're going to take a look at um, three principles of community that Bonhoeffer lays out in his book. In particular, we're going to look at one chapter of the book, not in its entirety. Don't worry. We're, uh, we're just going to hit the high points. And... Uh, and, and just sit with that for a little bit. So you're going to have some time to do that. Okay? All right. Three aspects of Christian community. They're in your handout. I think they are anyway. Yes, they are. All right. And he touches on these in the book. They go in escalating order and in priority order. So the first is community with other Christians is a gift and a blessing. We're going to examine that. It's a gift and a blessing. Two, second principle or aspect. In Christian community, we belong to one another, and I underlined it. I could have put it in caps and bold and anything else. Only, and that word is purposeful, only through and in Jesus Christ. And we're going to explore that a little bit. It's going to tie to the third, the third thing. The third is, personal expectations and ideals are the greatest single threat to Christian community. That is so countercultural to the age we live in. You're going to see that as you read Bonhoeffer's words echoing across the years. Because it's all about us, isn't it? You know, in our culture, I'm not pointing anybody out. I'm part of it, too. It's all about us. Personal expectations and ideals. Self-actualization. So much of faith is just 
sanctified self-actualization. Be all I can be for God. I can be me. Believe me, it's, it's out there. It permeates everything we do. And if we're not aware of it, it just creeps its way into our, our life of faith. So we're going to explore those tonight. But we're going to start, in this case, um, I have kind of a plan in mind. So we're going to start first by, having, or by breaking down into small groups and having small group discussion. Questions are there before you. I'll just read them very quickly for the sake of those who are uh, going to listen to the podcast. What do you think about community with other Christians? I want you to talk to each other about this. Do you consider it a gift? Why or why not? In your personal experience, is it more of a blessing or a bother? And I want you to be honest with one another. I want you to reflect on community you've been involved in, and I want you to speak honestly, because I, I expect you to, to grapple with this in that way. Second question, what does the term only through and in Jesus Christ mean to you with regard to Christian community? Have you heard it before? Or on hearing it first time, what do you think it means? Third, what expectations or ideas do you have now or have you had in the past with regard to Christian community? If you're in a small group, what are your expectations? When you joined that small group, what were you looking for? If you were part of another kind of a community, what, uh, what were your expectations? What kinds of things did you hope to see? So I want you to be able to talk with each other about that. I, I, I want you to bring those to the surface is what I'm saying because if we're going to really engage um, this particular chapter on community, it's important for us to be able to, to, to grapple with it on a personal level. Okay? So that's why these questions are very important. There, is no, there are not going to be any right answers. That's why I brought the board up here. I'm going to kind of do a little bit of polling when we're done, put some stuff up there so we can all hear a little bit broader from each other. Um, and, then, and then we'll get into that. So let's take, um, we're going to be about a half an hour, about 10 minutes in. I'll, I'll call that break, bathroom time, and then, uh, but overall, figure for about a half an hour. So you can either stay in place where you are, or we'll open the uh, connection center, and there's some tables and uh, chairs over there where you can sit. If you have any questions at all, I'll be circulating around, so uh, just, uh, just stop me. Okay? Thank you. Okay. Now, it wasn't a, uh, we always have these kind of things when we do the small group time. Some people like to go through numerically. Or sometimes I don't put numbers for that very reason. You could hit whatever question you wanted to. But on the assumption that everybody at least did the first question, community, is it a gift or a blessing? You Both. just throw up your hand. Both? Yes? Did every, was, were your groups basically in agreement that that is the case? What were some of the reasons that it was a gift or a blessing? Did anybody give a, a reason? Did you say something? No? Yes? One of our members said that um, community, was, community was there for him when he needed it. Okay. Okay, so it was something there for us in a time of need. Okay, 
What, what other reasons are there There was a, that you heard? Yes. Okay, so individually you would say we are a gift to one another? Okay. Okay, what else? A place of encouragement, okay. Can people see these? I didn't know if you wanted to write them down or not. If it's not that helpful, then I'll just get back down there and we'll just, we'll just hear them. Anything else? Community. You get to be used, okay. Let's, let's call that a nice word. <laughs> Service to one another. There's somebody here who hasn't been here very long and say, well, yeah, come on in and get used. I don't know, would that appeal to you? <laughs> Thank you. I knew what you were getting at. Okay, what else? Accountability. accountability. Okay. Does everybody want accountability necessarily? Well, for some people, that's the good. It's a blessing is that you have people you can be accountable to that are walking in the, generally in the same place you are. Isn't that true? Kind of hard to be accountable to a friend who's not a follower of Jesus because they're going to look at very different things. I've talked with many people over the years. They have friends that basically have a foot in each. Maybe they come to church, but their life in no way reflects being a follower of Jesus. And if they start to be kind of an accountability or a touch point, that can be very difficult because you're, you're coming from two very different places and there's a disconnect, a dissonance, if you will. Okay, so that gives us just a general idea did anybody, did anybody have any sense, and again, um, you know, if, you, if you want to, I'm not trying to call anybody out, uh, you know, any aspects of it being kind of a hassle or you know, trouble or anything like that? Yes. Yes, okay. In what regard? Okay, good. Personalities. Sometimes we would rather just not deal with certain kinds of people, right? But we often forget sometimes they may not want to be, you know, we might be that guy or that girl, right? We forget that because we do get, we tend to get self-centered, but personality is a good one. And I would say that in my own experience, if we're going to say that community is a bit of a hassle, it's probably going to, it's probably a lot of times is going to grow out of that. It's just really difficult sometimes to deal with each other in our different places. Any other things that came in? Yes. Okay. Okay. So striking a balance between uh, alone and together, if you will. Okay. Do, is there anybody here who has found or any of you had an experience that community starts to get so intensive and everybody wants to spend all this time that you feel like you, 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 you can't be, there's an expectation that you be at everything and do everything? How about that? Yeah? Okay, so let's call that uh, busyness. Okay, uh, there was one over here. Diane, was that you? 
Judgmental. Ooh, boy, that's really true. The problem with doing this kind of stuff is you better be a good speller. Everybody's going to call you out soon. <laughs> right? We talk about that. Okay, Dave? Um, that it could be plain messy. Messy, okay. But isn't it true that your whole life is supposed to be all in order once you agree to follow Jesus? Isn't that the case? What's, you know, I mean, come on. Housekeepers, okay. Care, let's call it care. Okay. Sometimes it's hard to care for people, isn't it? Yes. Also, you can get stuck in the bubble. In the bubble, okay. Right, okay, good. Yeah, my wife and I were, were involved in overseeing a community that um, kind of was perceived a bit as a bit of a bubble, but it, it was necessary at the time for the people to come together. So um, you don't want a bubble to persist. Sometimes a bubble is necessary. If you have people from a particular area, let's say as a, for instance, if you're in, you know, in recovery, there's a, you, know, you might be in a recovery bubble. You, you're probably not going to stay there recovering all of your life. You, you eventually want to have some degree of, of other contact, but at various points, a very intensive, very intentional bubble can be good, but at the same time, you don't want it to be completely exclusionary over time. So that's, you know, there's a number of different ways that can happen. You might have a group that's based on a particular affinity, and then, you, then the next thing you know, that's all you do together, and, and there's no sort of connection with the outside. So a bubble is one. Did you have one? Or were you just stretching? No? Okay. One more? Clicky. Ooh, that's a tough one. Let's see. It's a C-L-I-Q-U-E, and then maybe a Y at the end, huh? Okay. Clicky. All right. Yeah, people can be clicky, absolutely, around all kinds of different things. Okay, let's move on to the next one. Um, through and in Jesus, what does that mean? Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center, okay. Anybody have any other thought on that, or is that pretty much, yes? Excellent, excellent. She's not a plant. Excellent, okay? Because what tends to happen with us, okay? I'm, by the way, I'm not going to call on you because now she said that, so don't worry, okay? Okay, here we are. Absent Jesus Christ in the center. So here's one where Jesus is not in the center. Ah, let me see. I think I'll have a connection here and there'll be another connection there and maybe... One over here, but maybe nothing there at all, or nothing over there, nothing over there, okay? We, it's very, very easy for us in community to be disconnected from one another or to form little allegiances or even within a community to be clicked off with a couple of people even though you're together. Let's say you have a small group, but then your small group of 12 ends up having four or five hardcore who always do everything together and sit on the same side of the room every week and, you know, all kinds of things, all right? Um, 
And the next thing you know, it begins to feel a little exclusionary. All right? Now, you know, that seems really silly, but it's symptomatic of that. So what we're really talking about here There is nothing that happens in the community that does not go through the center. Nothing. So any connection between these people happens through the person and the work of Jesus. We'll talk about that a little bit. But that is the concept. That is the concept. It's not this over here, kind of wherever it ends up. It's this. And there's something about that Bonhoeffer talks about. We'll look at a couple of things that he wrote. There's something he talks about. There's something that happens when we, I am not focused on you. I am focused on Jesus. And through Jesus, I have some connection to you. Okay? That is really important. And we miss it. So often we miss it. Our community's about us and about me and all of this is going on and, you know, a lot of times you just forget, you know, it ends up that Jesus is out here. He's outside of this little circle here. And yeah, can we still go to him? Of course we can. But that's individually. It's, it's really difficult to get the whole blob here to move in that direction. You following me? All of their own, each one deciding in or of their own will that maybe they're going to head in that direction where Jesus is. Isn't it far simpler with him in the middle to accomplish those kinds of things? It's an example of a very simple concept that is much more complex in its implementation, okay? Keeping Jesus at the center. Any other thoughts on that before we go to the next? Any questions? Yes. Right. Right. And see, even in that, did everybody hear that? That we shouldn't be so focused externally on the externals and really more focused on our relationship. Well, guess what? We, all of us, have some blinders on. There's things we don't see. Even when we're focused on a relationship with Jesus, personally, really pursuing that, we have blinders. There's stuff we don't see about ourselves in our relationship with the Lord that other people see and can see. So again, if we have this model, it's Jesus working through, let's say over here, this is uh, Mary. I'm not talking about you, but it's Mary. And, and over here is Ann. Sorry, Ann. I'll put it without an E. Um, okay. Anything that Mary has to communicate to Ann is as a result of something that Jesus has either allowed her to say, see, do, for the purpose not of telling Ann who she is or lording it over her, but for the purpose of community, making Ann more Christ-like. Okay? It could be a word, a scripture, advice, you know, speaking from experience. It can be a lot of different things, but it has to come through here. Otherwise, it's just me telling you. 
Ah, this is what you should do. Well, who said that? Where does that square up? Hey, we're in community, aren't we? No, we are in community centered around Jesus. Okay, so we catch that concept? Yeah, any other questions? That's a good question. Good point. Okay, third one. It's not that I can't see. It's many feet away from me, so. Okay. Okay, this one. Personal expectations and ideals. All right. We'll just, uh, for sake of writing quickly, personal stuff. How about that? Okay. Personal expectations, ideas, what? Don't be bashful. Oh, boy, everybody's speaking right up. Come on. Church should look this way. Let's just say things, right? Yeah, we're talking about church, but say things. And can I adapt that to say should be this way? Okay. And let's put that this way. Is that really this? Huh? My way. Is that right? This, no, I'm talking about in how a lot of times we, we lay it out. We like to try to impersonalize it, don't we? Well, it should be this way. Oh, you mean the way you want it to be? Does that what this means? It's like, well, it depends on the definition of it. Well, anyway, we won't go there. Um, things should be this way. All right, what else? What other kinds of expectations do we bring? Comparison. Comparison. Ooh, I like that one. Comparison. Why can't you be like the rest of us? Or, I just can't seem to be like her or him. I don't measure up. Comparison. What other kinds of comparison? Don't you read your Bible? You don't have a defined quiet time? I saw you at, a, at dinner the other day, and I, you, you had a beer. You laugh because it's true, isn't it? I mean, this is the kind of stuff that gets, that's in there when we start. You know, we're not talking about some big, you know, make a diagram and check off the points of comparison. We're talking about all kinds of little stuff, all kinds of little things that creep their way in there. Okay, other personal stuff. Great one. Isolation, okay. Okay. Okay, isolation, good. Past hurts. Okay, past hurts can lead to isolation. They can be very, very much connected. Okay, past hurts can, can create, give rise to expectations that people will not treat us in a way that we've been hurt in the past or that we will not allow ourselves to be treated in a particular way. 
And when we build up that defense, what happens? We start thinking, looking at behaviors. What's, what, what does she mean by that? What's he trying to do here? I remember when this happened, it was kind of like that. You know, get away from me, or I'm, gonna, I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to pull back. How many of us have been in a, in a small group where there is a person who is very deliberately, almost passively, aggressively isolated, even in the midst of being present? And they're just sitting there, aren't they? They don't say anything. Their, their silence is, makes, is uncomfortable, makes us, makes us nervous. So you don't have to be gone to be isolated. You can be right in the midst of something and be very isolated. Okay, what else? Let's do one or two more. We'll move on. Anything else? Anybody think of? Okay. Okay. I would take that as an example of what happens when we have expectation. That's a good one. Let's say, so we, we have past hurts. We can also say, I guess, going with that, um, past successes. That's probably too many S's, but whatever. Okay, past successes. So, you know what? I, you know, back when in my old church, it was done this way. I was in a great group. You know, hey, I understand this. We, when, when my wife and I started the church that we did, we started a, a Spanish-speaking church here in San Francisco. It wasn't very big. It never was much more than about 50 or 60 people when we were there. But it had a kind of community that to this day, I, I have to be careful that I don't longingly look back and say, wow. You know, we were invested in each other in a way that just is not possible here. I'm not saying we can't have good community here, so don't, don't, don't hear me wrong. But there's something about being a sort of almost like a, a little sort of huddled together group that are just existing together. And, and you have almost like the old church days, everything's in common. Everything you do together, you have meals together and churches, 50 people. That includes the kids, by the way. So, I mean, you know, wouldn't have many adults. We could almost take over a restaurant on a Sunday after church. And, you know, so there, there's a longing. There's a longing. And the kinds of relationships we had, again, they were culturally different. You know, the, the Latin American culture is, is, um, it is you know, I'm not, not playing favorites. It's, it's a much warmer, a much more extroverted culture in some respects. And so it's, you know, it's a huggy culture. It's, a, you know, it's just, you know. It has a certain rhythm and cadence to it. And when you're in it for 10 to 12 years, and that's what you know, and then you, you, you leave it behind, you know, it's hard to make a transition. So I understand that implicitly, that idea that, that you, had, you, know, you had something once, and now, now what do you have? And how come it's not like that? And how come people are different? So OK, very good. So we had those. Um, those issues. So let's, um, let's delve into this. We're going to try to go through it. We don't have a lot of time. Everybody okay here? Kind of good. And now set back down to your eye level. 
Okay, let's take a look at, let's, uh, yes, thank you. We have a handout here, and I didn't give it to you before because we don't like any cheating. <laughs> I don't want you to go put answers to the questions that were out of the writing. Oh, well, he says this. Not that I don't trust you, but okay. And these are for you to take home. We're not going to cover everything. I highlighted, highlighted, underlined um, some key passages. We won't get to them all tonight. I think they help to, to sort of set the stage. I'm just going to hit some very, very high points. You want to come up and talk to me afterwards, you can. Uh, if you want to take it home and read it, you know that I'm here most Wednesdays. So if you want to come back or you want to email me. And unlike our normal trick with each other, I'm actually going to give you my email as opposed to Pastor Paul. But you can write to Pastor Paul if you like, right? <laughs> what? Yeah. Uh-huh. Life and community. Um, I'm Carlos at Cornerstone-SF. So if there is anything that after reading you come up with, I'd be happy to correspond with you. OK. Page one. I put the whole psalm in here because I want to, let's just, I'll just read it. This is how he starts his idea of what community is. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, that's Mount Hermon, descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing Live life forevermore. Now, you know, most of us, the idea of somebody pouring oil over our head doesn't really translate culturally that well, does it? So I thought of a story to give you a better idea of what, what Bonhoeffer was talking here about the sense. Now, we're not talking an intellectual sense. What he means by using Psalm 133 here, it's visceral. It's a feeling so, you know, when I was a young man, we used to be the road trip champions. And one of my friends had an old VW. They used to call him a micro bus, square back, you know. So that bus was all over the West Coast with us in it. And that's all I will tell you as far as that. Um, <laughs> suffice to say, we would do all kinds of outdoor things, outdoor concerts, go to parks, you know, out camping, whatever. We had, you know, we, we used to think we were real inventive, of course. We had a bucket. It wasn't a big bucket. It was a little bigger than a kid's sand bucket. But we had a bucket that went with us everywhere. And if the day got to be really hot or we got dusty and we weren't ready for a shower yet, you'd just peel off your shirt, you'd grab the bucket and get some water in it. And any water in real hot weather, as you know, is refreshing. And you would just take, we used to call it a flush bucket, and you'd take the bucket and just turn it over on your head. And the water would run all over you. It'd be cool. You'd just feel refreshed, even if it's only for five or so minutes. And that's, I thought about it, that's the sensation that Bonhoeffer is talking here about community. It's just like a splash of nice, cool water on a hot day just a feeling you're dusty and you're sweaty and here comes this water just all over you and it's such a feeling of refreshment and that is what he's talking about 
That's what Psalm 133 is really getting at. That sensation that community is meant to represent. A refreshing, a place to just feel, ah, that's what it's about. That's what he's talking about. Now, if you have it, though, and you have that bucket every day, it starts to get kind of familiar, doesn't it? It doesn't have the same, let's say every day you did it, instead of when you were out someplace hot and special, you know, it kind of lose its, lose its meaning, wouldn't it? And that's what he's saying there on that, on page 27. I'll refer to the bottom of the pages there. The first page you have, it's 27, so that's where they start. 17, 17 thank you. That's what happens when you don't wear your glasses. It's not simply to be taken for granted that Christians, that the Christian has the privilege of living among other Christians. Okay? So the way he puts this, and he goes on in this first section, what he basically does is he talks about what it's like not to have it. And we won't go into great depth, but let me, let me pose another, another, time, another type of thing. Okay? And here, here he goes on page 18 the bottom of page 18 there, he says, So between the death of Christ and the last day, it is only by a gracious anticipation of the last things that Christians are privileged to live in visible fellowship with one another. And he talks about the congregation and going on. Now, we should understand that here in San Francisco. Anyone who is a native born of San Francisco, raise your hand. Hey, that's a pretty good number, okay, considering our size. Let's see, keep your hands up. I just want to kind of get a sense. Okay, that's pretty good. That might be about 20% of this crowd here. Now, if you went and did it on a Sunday morning, it'd probably be even less than that, wouldn't you think? 20% is kind of a high percentage. So the fact is that most of us have probably had a personal experience of coming to a new community, coming to a new church, and realizing that we don't have and what we once had doesn't exist. Most of us can probably, if we think back, remember when we came here or when we came to the city and how lonely it felt. I don't know anybody. Maybe I came for a job. I don't even know the, the people that are in my office or my workplace. I, I got to get to know them too. And this is what he's talking about. The fact that when we're in it and once we're in it, we forget. We forget what a tremendous gift it is to have colleagues at work that we can enjoy. People in our community of the church that we can have good fellowship with. We forget. And in his portrayal of this, that forgetting is sort of the first step to getting things wrong. Because then what do you do when you, when you forget? Take it for granted, don't you? We all do it. Take it for granted. And yet if we think about when we came, just even came to this church or came to this city, we can reflect on a time when it seemed very lonely, it seemed very daunting. But we've already, most of us have already forgotten that. 
And in that forgetting, we begin to take things for granted. And when we take things for granted, says Bonhoeffer, we lose our ability to appreciate them for what they truly are. It just becomes status quo, okay? And we're going to see here in a couple of minutes, that's the root of this whole expectation thing. See, if I have a fresh perspective, I'm probably not going to have that many expectations. I'm going to take it as it is. I'm going to see what the Lord brings. I'm going to see how community evolves. But once I get the attitude that I got it, then I don't have the same level of appreciation. Then it's way easier for expectation to take root in me because I don't see with fresh eyes. I don't see with fresh eyes. And that's a matter of discipline, I got to tell you. It's a matter of discipline. It's not something that comes naturally. We all do it. So one of the things that he says in here is really there's a certain discipline of not taking for granted, of remembering. And there's, we could go on on that whole, that subject alone could be a subject of a single study about disciplines and, and the ability to, to keep in mind um, what God has done, to keep it in, our, in the forefront so that it's always there. Okay? But we'll move on. We're, uh, we're, okay? And here he says at page 20, numbers are at the top there, says it in page 20, it is true, of course, that what is an unspeakable gift of God for the lonely individual is easily disregarded and trodden underfoot by those who have the gift every day. It is easily forgotten that the fellowship of Christian brethren is a gift of grace, a gift of the kingdom of God that any day may be taken from us, that the time that still separates us from utter loneliness may be brief indeed. You know, I've seen it. Walk into the office on a Monday, and the next thing you know, you're laid off. Or you're asked if you will take a transfer to another city. Or you get a call from perhaps your parents who are aging, and one of them is very sick and really needs you to come home and care for them. Like that. All of a sudden, everything you had by way of community in, in, a, in a flash is gone or is going to be gone. God doesn't abandon us, but it's at moments like that that we realize what we had, what we're leaving behind when we have community. And all he's saying here is we need to develop a discipline we need to develop an attitude of, of always going back, of never getting set and sedentary with, with the whole idea that, well, this is the way it is. Because it can be taken away in a moment. It can be taken away in a moment. Okay, the next one. Through and in Jesus Christ. I'm, you know what? I'm not going to spend a lot of time there. The readings are there. I think with the diagram I gave you a sense. Did you get that? that sense in the diagram of what it means to be connected to one another. 
that's, that's what he's talking about. He goes on to explain it a lot better than I can ever do it. I wanted to give you that diagram, though. As, and so there's a little number two in parentheses on page 21 of, of the handout. And from there forward are all of the various concepts. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that since I've already, I've already touched on it. Does anybody have, you know, after that, does anybody have any, any particular questions or anything on that? On the, the through and in Jesus Christ, at least in its, in its basic sense? Okay. Let's go to the third because I think this is the one that I want to spend the rest of the time we have tonight. It's on page 26. Now, he's going to use a word here, and I want you to, um, when you take this away and read it, and when we read it right now, I, I want you to be a little bit cautious about the word. Remember that this was written by a, a German in 1945. And... Um, it had to be translated from the German. And uh, our friend back there will tell you, Germany, German is a very, very precise language. And so, you know, not everything necessarily translates. Same as the Bible. You know, it depends on how you do the translation. So he uses a word here uh, called dreaming and vision. He uses those two words. And I just want you to kind of not get stuck on the actual word. I'll tell you what he's getting at. But don't, don't you know, be so strict in your definition of, of what he's trying to say. He says this at the bottom there of page 26. Innumerable times a whole Christian community has broken down because it had sprung from a wish dream. Now let's translate that for our modern times to say from personal expectations or ideals. Okay? From personal expectations or ideals. Because it isn't that God doesn't want us to dream or to have hopes. What we're really talking about here, what he's talking about is these expectations and ideals that we set up. The serious Christian set down for the first time in a Christian community is likely to bring with him a very definite idea of what Christian life together should be. Should be. Remember we put that term up there? How it, things should be this way and try to realize it. But God's grace speedily shatters such dreams. Isn't that an interesting statement? God shattering our expectations and ideals of community is actually an act of grace. Now, when it happens, we sure don't think so, do we? No. We're not feeling like God's being graceful with us. What do you mean it's not going to be like that? What do you mean people aren't going to act this way? What do you mean they're not going to treat me this way? That's supposed to be grace? Just as surely as God desires to lead us to a knowledge of genuine Christian fellowship, so surely must we be overwhelmed by a great disillusionment with others. Ouch. With Christians in general... And if we are fortunate with ourselves. You see how counterintuitive that is to the way we see the world today? He's talking about a disillusionment. Why are we disillusioned? We're disillusioned because the expectations and ideals that we're trying to force on people, on community, aren't being realized. So it's a healthy disillusionment. 
It's not, again, how do we equate disillusionment in our very self-centered culture? Oh, man, I don't want any of that. I'm supposed to be fulfilled and feel good. Isn't that what the church exists for? My community? Isn't my small group supposed to make me feel good, good about myself, accepted and loved? Yes, but not according to your standard, according to God's. And that's where this disillusionment comes in. So don't get too, too far afield with that word disillusionment. What he's basically trying to say is, it's not your way, it's my way. And as soon as you find out it's not your way, you are going to be disillusioned. That is a natural human tendency when you can't do, when we can't do what we want to do. Aren't we all like that? Anybody who's a parent knows that, man. You watch your kids. You can, what? what? You're so mean. I was talking with a friend the other day. This is an aside, but talking with a friend the other day, and uh, uh, well, actually not a friend, his daughter. They're riding in the car. They're both sitting in the back seat, you know. My father is trying to ruin my life. Oh my God. <laughs> These are 14-year-olds. you got to figure that, okay? One of whom is my daughter. And I, I guess she didn't appreciate me being a smart aleck because I said, well, you know what? You shouldn't worry. I already ruined my daughter's life a year ago. <laughs> didn't go over very well. <laughs> Disillusionment. By the way, dad had agreed to chaperone a school dance. How embarrassing. Okay? And her life was ruined forever. <laughs> this is disillusionment. This is what Bonhoeffer's talking about. Is that real disillusionment, folks? No, it's teenage angst. Okay? It's not real disillusionment. It's the end of our own will or our own will butting up against something that God wants to do. Okay. So then Bonhoeffer, and you know, he's just so hardcore here. He says, by sheer grace, God will not permit us to live even for a brief period in a dream world. Okay? So this is what we're set up with. He's not mincing words here. He's basically saying... If you're going to truly enter into community, the first step is you got to realize it's not all about you. Not all about your personal expectations, your personal desires. It's about a relationship with Jesus at the center. And then let's see what gets added. So he goes on to say there on page 27, the sooner this shock of disillusionment comes to an individual and to a community, the better for both. A community which cannot bear and cannot survive such a crisis, which insists upon keeping its illusion when it should be shattered, permanently loses in that moment the promise of Christian community. That's as direct a statement as can be made. And we have to ask ourselves, what is our community about? Is it about pleasing each other and having a good time? Or is it about living out a Christ-like life with Him in the center? Because if it's the latter, then it's not always going to be fun and games. 
There's going to be some sacrifice. There's going to be some heartache. There's going to be some disillusionment. There are going to be times of difficulty. That's what community is. And like our mothers and maybe our fathers always told us, you don't grow by getting what you want all the time. You know, it's kind of an old, you know, truism, but, you know, that's basically what Bonhoeffer is saying here. You're not going to grow in the Lord if you just get your will all the time. If everything's about you. That's what he's saying here about community. So he goes on. Okay, you think that's hardcore enough? Okay, he goes further. Look what he says. He says, God hates visionary dreaming. Okay, what does, he, what does that mean? Don't have vision? No. What does, he, what does he mean by that? I come into community with my ideals and my expectations. That's what he means by that. He doesn't mean about don't have vision. He means you come in. I come into the group and this is the way it's supposed to be. I got my idea. This is what I need to have happen. It makes the dreamer proud and pretentious. We don't want to hear that, do we? But that's what it is. What else would you call but pride and pretension? Somebody who comes into a pre-existing group of people and says, you got to do it my way. Now, they may not say that. They may not say that, but in their actions and the way they interact in, in community, that's, that's the message they're sending. That's the message they're sending. My way. Or I'll take the highway. My way. Now, um, again, Bonhoeffer wrote at a different time, so he means people. He uses the word man, he, but you know, don't, don't get sidetracked by that. The man who fashions a visionary ideal of community demands that it be realized by God. That's not Jesus in the center, is it? By others and by himself. He enters the community of Christians with his demands, sets up his own law, and what does that mean? In other words, you're not doing it the way I want it done. I got my law. I got my rule. It's not being done the way I want it done. That's a form of law. And judges the brethren and God himself accordingly. Not according to who you are, but according to whether you're doing what I want you to do. I can see by the looks on your faces, you know this is true. Anybody who's been in any kind of community, and sad to say in the church too, I mean, you know this is true. We have, most of us have probably experienced it on some level. This isn't just made up out of the air. And by the way, remember that when Bonhoeffer wrote this, he was in a seminary where people are supposed to be going to really follow God and be trained. This isn't something that he thought up somewhere. This was, this was reflecting on community life in the underground seminary where he was teaching. So if it happens in that kind of a place where people are so much under pressure to seek the Lord, follow Him, and really, really accomplish this mission, how much more so in, in our world, the world we live in? He stands adamant. And, you know, I love this idea. He stands adamant. I don't remember if, if um, you, you may have remembered, uh, it was how long ago now, Pastor Paul? Uh, six weeks, four weeks since uh, Kyle taught? Whatever. 
Yeah, probably about six weeks. I don't know if you remember the image, but Kyle did a really great job with it. He talked about living with clenched fists, okay, versus living with open hands, living with clenched fists. And what Bonhoeffer is talking about when I heard that, and I knew I was going to be teaching this, it just really struck me because that's what happens, okay? He stands adamant, a living reproach to all others in the circle of the brethren. Do what I want you to do. What's wrong with you guys? The whole body language, the whole image, clenched fists. And what Kyle talked to us about was living with open hands. I need some help. I'm sorry what happened to you. I'm sorry you feel that way. Can I help you? See the difference? It's a huge difference. It's a huge difference. It's our body language. It's our hands being open. It's our entire approach. And Bonhoeffer is talking here that so often we get so caught up in our own agenda that we live with closed fists. We live in in an adamant lifestyle, a demanding lifestyle, a reproachful lifestyle. He goes on to the top of page 28 there. He acts as if he is the creator of Christian community, as if his dream binds men together. When things do not go his way, He calls the effort a failure. Anybody ever seen that? Man, this group, you know, excuse me, this group sucks. It's terrible. You know, it's crazy. What's, What's this all about? It's a failure. When his ideal picture is destroyed, he sees the community going to smash. Not his ideals, his community. You all got it wrong, man. You guys are way off. You have no idea what community is about. So he becomes first, and this is where we're going to finish on. He becomes first an accuser of his brethren. And I bet a lot of us have been around people who are great at accusing. They stand with the fist on one hand and the pointed finger on another. And they accuse. You did this. You act this way. You, 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 you. Not me. You, 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 you. An accuser of his brethren, then an accuser of God. You brought me to this city and this church. What's up? Why are you doing this? Look at these people. These people aren't Christians. Look at how they act. Why did you put me here? I've seen many a person leave the church at this very point. When they get to the point of accusing God, it's God's fault that this happened to me. He called me to come to this city. He gave me this new job in San Francisco. Now look what he's done. Or in that famous movie Amadeus where the guy says, what was God up to? Okay. 
accuser of the brethren, accuser of God. But here's, here, here's the real kicker that we take away. It's our takeaway tonight. Then, and finally, a despairing accuser of himself. Now, you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about the concept of Satan, the devil. Okay? What is one of the primary characteristics of, of our enemy, Satan? Satan is an accuser. Satan is an accuser. And he's so good at it at times, he can make you believe you're accusing yourself. We get so far out there that at some point we realize that we messed up. Now is when the enemy strikes. Because what have we done? We were in community. We stepped over here. All we did was stand aside and point the, point the finger at people. We pointed the finger at God. But where are we? Are we in the circle? No. We're not in the circle. And we're out there on our own. And now here comes our enemy to accuse us. You're worthless. You're no good. Look what you did. Look where you are. And that's why he uses the word despairing. Because there is a desperation when we come to that place of self-accusation. Now, we're not talking about realizing that we were, you know, in sin or messed up. That's not what he's talking about here. Because he's talking about an emotion, a sense that is so strong that we have already pulled ourselves out. We have isolated ourselves. And then in comes the enemy to accuse us, to, to make us become self-accusing. And to say we're worthless. Does God believe really that we are worthless? Is there anybody here who believes that? No. But when we get out there, we can't even live with ourselves. We can't stand who we've become. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. And we're in a completely vulnerable position to be struck down spiritually. Perhaps physically, a lot of people that suffer spiritual trauma also start to have all kinds of physical manifestations. But for now, we're talking, you know, just in spiritual trauma. So, coming back around, in Christian community, as he says, this is probably the greatest single threat the idea that we set up our expectations, that, we, that we, we try to enforce those on other people. But guess what? We only get there if we forget what a gift and blessing we have and if we fail to keep Jesus at the center. Because if Jesus is at the center, if Jesus is between me and Dave right here, I can say, Jesus, you know, this thing he just did really, you know, I'm, I'm, and I'm not good with it. And then Dave can go to Jesus and say, Jesus, you know, Carlos talked to me in a way the other day. It just was, you know, that wasn't very loving. And Jesus says, you know what? You're right. I saw it. Let me talk to him. Let me talk to him. Let me send another brother to talk to him. Let me give him a word. Let me have the Holy Spirit touch him. 
I'll take care of it. You stay over there. You see that? But if Jesus is not there, I'm going to go right across that gap. I'm going to stick my finger in his chest. And I'm going to accuse. Or I'm going to, I'm going to, there's going to be dissension. And he can do the same thing to me. And that's why they go sequentially. See? That's why if Jesus is not in the center, once that goes away, then this other thing about expectation can happen. So let me encourage you tonight as we close. Be watchful. Take this away. Sit with it a little bit. Be watchful. Go back. If you're in a group or you're in some sort of community, go back and think about it. Think about the people in your group, in your community. Lift them up before the Lord. Be honest with God about how you feel. That's okay. If he's in the center, he knows. You think he doesn't know already? But there's something releasing about confessing. We, we could go into a whole thing about the confessing church, but part of it was this idea that there, things are above board. We are confessing whom we are before the Lord. We are putting you first. And just take it away and realize, if you will, what can happen when we let the idea of expectations and, and this, and, and you know what? If we're watchful, we can start to see when our fists begin to close. If we allow others to live with us, Honestly, through Jesus, they can tell us, you know what? You're really starting to tighten up. You know, can I help you? Can I talk to you? Can I pray for you? <laughs> okay? And for those of us on the other side, what do we do? Do we just run away? See, our culture gets us that too. Oh, let them be. Everybody kind of finds their own way. No. No. We need each other. We need each other in community. Now, next week, Kyle's going to come and speak on community. He's going to take another particular aspect. It's going to be about forgiveness. And particularly when we're talking about how we can wound and offend each other and have our expectations fail, forgiveness becomes a really big issue in terms of being an impediment to, uh, to true community. So he'll be talking about that next week. And for now, let me just uh, say a prayer and bless you as you uh, go on your way. Lord, thank you. Thank you that down through the ages, in this case not too long ago, but through the ages, people can still speak to us today through their words, through things that are written about them. And Lord, um, I know that every one of us in our heart wants to be part of something, something that's bigger than ourselves. We may resist, we may feel very independent, but at root, we have a longing and a desire that you put in us for community. And Lord, I just pray that whatever we may be struggling with, Whatever may be an impediment to that, be it time or emotional issues or past things, Lord, that you would come into that place and work. 
that we would allow you that access to our hearts, Lord. So I pray your blessing over everyone here tonight. I pray that you would go away in their hearts and minds, that they would consider what we've talked about and take this away and look at it and think about it. And I, I just ask your protection over everyone, that there'd be no sense of accusation tonight because that is not from you. You love us. You want us. You want to protect us. Amen. Thanks, everyone.